0: Hello again. Welcome to our weekly broadcast of Apologetics.Watch. I'm your host, Luke Wayne. It's my producer, Aaron, who will be here with us uh, up front this time because we can't use the same format twice. So anyway, uh, no, actually it's because we're going to be talking about a topic that Aaron has a lot of background into, and I think he'll contribute a lot to this discussion. Um, but, but that said, we're going to be dealing with the question of the preexistence now, what is that? Well, it is a, a teaching uh, primarily you know, living out in here. We come across it in Mormon theology and the various offshoots thereof that we come across uh, in street ministry out here, but you'd also find it in other uh, religious groups a growing cult known as the World Mission Society Church of God, more famous for their Mother God doctrine. If you ever have them knock on your door, meet them, meet them in your college campus, you'll find this same doctrine in their theology. And it's the idea that before life here on earth, we all pre-existed, we existed before our earthly physical life, and existed as spiritual beings in the heavens as angels or souls or spirits of some kind, depending on which group you're dealing with, but that we existed in the heavens and only afterward came down to gain bodies and go through some sort of probationary period before, ideally, returning to God, with whom it is believed by people who advocate this teaching we already existed with beforehand. And so... Again, living out here in Utah, we most commonly come across the Mormon iteration of this, but most of the arguments we're going to talk about today are arguments you will find pretty similarly in any other group that would advocate a similar teaching to this. Uh, And so for wherever you're living and whoever your friends and neighbors are, you are likely at some point to come across someone who's advocating a teaching like this. And I think it's really worthwhile for Christians to be prepared to answer fundamental questions like, where did we come from? And so today we're going to take a look at just that. And so one of the primary texts that you will see uh, such groups turn to is in the, book, uh, in the Gospel of John, particularly in John chapter 9, in the story of the man born blind whom Jesus healed. And so that story begins. Begins with uh, the Jesus disciples walking down the street and seeing this man. And it says in John nine verses one and three, and he passed by, and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, for a lot of evangelical Christians watching this, especially if you've never had any background with someone who might teach this, you might be wondering how in the world you would even get the idea of a pre existence out of this passage. But it really comes down to the initial context. So let's take a look. It's the man, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, that th- this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the question comes up, how could the disciples even think that this was based on the man's own sin? So wh- so if it's even possible that the blind man's sin his own sin, might have contributed to him being born blind, then they had to have been assuming, so the argument goes, that the man could have sinned before he was born, and thus he must have had some conscious existence at a previous time in a previous place before his birth, and so the argument is based on the idea that Jesus' disciples must have been assuming something like this.
1: Yeah, and in, in the Latter-day Saint tradition, there's a scholar named Kevin Barney. I think he wrote a paper on this, on the John 9 text. So if you wanted to Google that, just to, for evidence that Latter-day Saints or Mormons use this as a proof text for pre
0: Yeah, it's also one that I've come across a number of times just in street conversations with mm-hmm. street-level Mormons. So from the from their scholars down to rank-and-file Mormons, this is an argument that you're going to hear. Um, interestingly, it's also one that, that Buddhists try to, and, and Hindus try to, choose mm. to, to prove that the Bible teaches reincarnation. Oh, so they actually, they try to do the same thing. Mm. They try to turn to this text and show it must be showing that we had some prior existence mm. to this. So, uh, but all of that said, is that what's going on here? And so, really, there's two questions that you'd that you have before we even go any deeper, and that is, were the disciples assuming some previous conscious existence in heaven where sin might have occurred? And if so, is Jesus affirming or agreeing with that belief? And so, in Jesus' response, we see no affirmation. So e- even if the disciples thought that, you could just say, well maybe they thought it but they were wrong jesus argues that sin had nothing to do with the man being born blind but the que- but he also doesn't jump in and rebuke any core assumption there of, about a preexistence so let's let's ask the first question did they think that and the book of john is going to give us good reason to think not only that they didn't think it but also that john wants us very much to know these men didn't pre-exist, no human pre-existed, Jesus uniquely came down from heaven. That in fact, the ironic thing about turning to John to prove the pre-existence is that John is one of the most emphatic testimonies throughout Scripture that that there was no pre-existence of any human being besides Jesus himself, that Jesus uniquely came down from heaven. Um... So, so, But having said that, so we do have, real quick, uh, what possible context could this question have been asked? Well, when we look at the Jewish world of the time period, it is worth noting that we do have in the rabbinic literature from not long after the New Testament, which probably reflects tradition that would go back to that time period, there are discussions of prenatal sin, of the idea, for example, that uh, when uh, Jacob... And Esau were having conflict between them before birth, that that this was uh, that this was part of why perhaps God chose Jacob over Esau. That that uh, and there's other discussions of people who are born um, under the, under God's wrath because they kicked too hard in the womb. And therefore, their kicking against their mother was rebellious and was sin. And so you see case law being brought up in Jewish legal texts that show the idea of prenatal sin. So could the disciples have been assuming prenatal sin? Yes, they could have. And if they were assuming that, they were not assuming a heavenly preexistence. They also could have been presuming a foreseen sin. God, being all-knowing, knowing knowing the future, punished this man for what, in God's timeless perspective, the man was going to do. And so there are multiple ways you could understand the disciples' question and what assumptions, right or wrong, they might have been bringing to the table that would not in any way imply the need for a pre-existence. So this text, even without looking further, doesn't necessitate in any way That the disciples presumed a pre existence. We have good, in historical documents, good reason to think they were probably assuming something else and not the more Greco Roman idea that people existed as souls, came down into the physical world, were stuck in bodies, and in the Greco Roman version, were hoping to be liberated from those bodies. And in Mormonism, you want to keep the body, but it was the Greco Roman perspective the The Platonic perspective, the Greek philosophical perspective, and not the Jewish perspective, that people pre-existed as spirits and took bodies. the biblical perspective is quite contrary to that. Um, so I wanted to correct myself. I was looking
1: at the Kevin Barney article. he was at least making note of the fact that it's common in Latter-day saint discourse to use John nine verse two to support the pre-existence. Okay, so he
0: himself did not necessarily uh, not necessarily, okay. Yeah.
1: Just glancing at the article. Okay.
0: Well, thank you. That's, that. that's where I first learned of the Latter-day Saint
1: usage of John 9, verse 2. So.
0: so that said, I think it'll be a great opportunity to learn more about this doctrine of the preexistence, but also just to glory in the unique majesty of our Lord and I, how much above and beyond us he is to just take I wonder, a step.
1: Sorry. No, go take, ahead. I wonder for the listeners, if you realize just how much available there is in the Bible on the uh, topic of us not preexisting of Jesus uniquely <laughs> preexisting. I, I think what we're about to go through might shock you or surprise you that um, the Bible makes quite a big deal of the fact that Jesus uniquely preexisted and we didn't. Uh, and that's a glorious thing. Uh, so there's a lot more there than.
0: Yeah, G- than Jesus isn't just a slightly better version of what we are. Yeah, he is. He's is utterly unique and heavenly, and glorious, and majestic in a way that we absolutely are not. Let's hit the ground running. All right. So so jumping on in there, we first have... I'll read this one. Uh, John 1,
1: verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So, this reminds us of uh, Genesis 1, uh, but... We start here with God, like Genesis starts, uh, and the Word here is God and is with God. Uh, but, of course, we learn later in John that the Word became flesh, so the Word is Jesus. Yeah, John
0: 1.14, and, and you know, even in John 1.3, that all things are created by him, by the Word. So the Word is uncreated with God, and everything else is created by God. By the Word. So the, before the um, Word
1: becomes flesh, the Word created everything that came after.
0: Yes. And so, right uh, to begin with, we have a category distinction being made between the Word, who comes down and becomes flesh, but pre existed as heavenly, as divine, as God, and brought all things into existence, and afterward comes and takes on flesh. And the whole point is that we are not like that, that this is something distinctive of the Word. If this is true of everyone, then John 1, 1 and 2 is is irrelevant. Notice the conspicuous lack of us here. We're not, yes. we're not in this verse. Yeah. And so we continue. John 1, 18 says further, No one has ever seen God, the only God who sits at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, this is extremely relevant because if we pre-existed with God in heaven before we came here, then all of us have seen God. Mm-hmm. All of us saw God before coming down to earth. All of us already had this heavenly pre-existence with him and then came down. But the whole point is we didn't, and we needed someone to come down from God to make God known to us. And the one who came down is, in fact, himself the only God. Mm.
1: Mm. We weren't there. Uh, We weren't at the Father's side. We weren't in a condition to make the Father known because we weren't with the Father. Uh, We weren't seeing the Father. The word uniquely is able to make the Father known because he was at the Father's side. Is this the verse uh, otherwise put, in the Father's bosom?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we continue. We haven't even left John chapter 1, by the way. This is how he starts his gospel. Before he tells us anything else, this is what he wants, to, wants us to know. Out the door. Um, and so we continue into the preaching of John the Baptist, which is where all the Gospels, you know, like to really focus the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was proclaimed by John. What did John tell us about Jesus? John the, ba- John the Baptist, the prophet John, not John the Gospel writer. I got this one.
1: This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me.
0: And so that's John 1.30, or if you flip 15 verses earlier, that's also John 1.15. Uh, we're, we're, we're told twice by John in this chapter that John the Baptist says that. Again, the gospel writer really, really wants us to get this point.
1: A more paraphrasal translation, I've heard it said, uh, he who comes after me is more important than I am. Uh, he ranks before me he, uh, because he yes. was before me. So the chronology, it's interesting, uh, Jesus, earth-wise, uh, comes, is it after John the Baptist? Yes, that's right. So uh, the Jewish assumption is that chronology here matters. And yet John's making sure that we understand that in the chronology of things, truly, uh, Jesus comes before John the Baptist, even though Jesus was born after John the Baptist,
0: he was conceived after John the Baptist. He was born after John. The... From every human perspective, Jesus is later than John the Baptist mm-hmm. by six months, but still later than John the Baptist. Uh, I should uh, I should pique people's interest when John's yeah. preaching this in public. Uh, this guy's older than I am. No,
1: he's not. He came before. I... He's more important than I am. He ranks before me. He was before me.
0: And so this is this is absolutely a point a sticking point again. Verse 15 and verse 30, twice we're told that John the Baptist said this about Jesus. This isn't true sure.
1: if, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. if Jesus and John the Baptist were co-eternal uh, intelligences or spirits in the pre-existence. It's just not true. This is, this is inaccurate. There's nothing gloriously unique about Jesus as having been around longer right, uh, or before right. John the Baptist if uh, classic Latter-day Saint teaching is true.
0: Absolutely not, and that's—but and, John wants us to get—both John the Baptist and John the Gospel writer—wants us to get the fact that this is true. Jesus is before John in a way that makes him greater than John in a way that we, we really need to grasp here, that flows out from the, di- the idea that in the beginning, he was the Word. He became flesh. He's the only one who's seen the Father. All of this works together. These aren't just isolated proof texts. This is a flowing context that's supposed to be building. Um, And it doesn't stop with chapter 1. So we continue here in chapter 3. So in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, when he's talking about our need to be born again, to enter the kingdom of God, and Nicodemus is struggling with all of these things, and so... Jesus is clarifying his authority, why you should trust him in in even these hard sayings that are difficult to understand. says, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things?' And so what's Jesus talking about uh, before we read the rest of the passage? It's important to, to get this. Truly, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. So what qualifies Jesus to be able to tell us heavenly things is because he has seen heavenly things. So he can testify about them, because we can only testify, as Jesus just said, about what we have seen. And so Any person can testify about earthly things because we've all seen earthly things. But as Jesus concludes his point, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. None of us have ever gone up to heaven and seen heavenly things so we can come back and tell about them. But Jesus, who came down from heaven, the Son of Man, he alone has seen heavenly things and can testify to heavenly things.
1: If the classic Verity Saint conception of reality here is true,
0: this verse is a lie because we've all uh, uh, descended from heaven. <clears throat> yeah. So then we would all have seen heavenly things. We'd all have equal right to testify to heavenly things. Jesus' whole point here is, Jesus, he who uniquely descended from heaven and can testify to heavenly things is the Son of Man. And that's that's really important for us to get. Jesus is the only one who on earth who could give testimony to heavenly things, because none of us have been there, which means we didn't come from there. In Case there's any ambiguity, we'll go back to the testimony of John again later in the same chapter, John three, twenty three through thirty one, if you want to read through that, yeah. account, that
1: account. John also is baptizing at help me out, Anon. Anon, yeah. Sure. Anon, near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and said to him Rabbi he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness look he is baptizing and all are going to him John answered a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is, it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoice, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above, is above all he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way he who comes from heaven is above all
0: so so, so stopping here for a minute um, reading all of that context is important because the whole time what john is talking about he's comparing jesus not to sinful worldly people but to himself a prophet of God. In fact, the prophet that Jesus elsewhere says is the greatest prophet of God among all born of women. And Jesus. Is, and so John is saying, Jesus is greater than me, he is above me, uh, he must increase, I must decrease, and then he gets to, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He is pointing to Jesus specifically as he who comes from above that is above all, placing Jesus above himself as why Jesus is worthy of increase and why John, the prophet of God, is not. The whole contrast here is not between Jesus and the worst of humanity, but Jesus and the best of humanity, and that at our best, we are still earthy. We are still of the earth, from the earth. We belong to the earth. Jesus alone is above all the one who uniquely comes from heaven. He who comes from heaven is above all. If we all came from heaven, then we're all above all, which doesn't make any sense. Jesus' unique heavenly origin is absolutely what is in view here. So he continues, remember the theme from earlier in John chapter 3, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, again, these heavenly things that he's uniquely qualified to testify to. This is what John the Baptist wants us to see, Jesus' unique authority to testify to what even a prophet cannot testify to because he has not seen what the one True, uh, only begotten Son of God, come down from heaven, has seen and knows. Anything to add there? No, no comments. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm honest, I'm reading uh, Kevin Barney's article here, trying to get, try to get him straight. His uh, has got a section on uh, John 9 and the preexistence. existence, but mine was so, elsewhere. Sorry. It's all right. So uh, I'll switch it up here. Uh, oh, I, re- I read the last yeah, one, Yeah, you, so you wrote, do this so, one.
0: John chapter 6. Now, we could actually read a lot in John chapter 6. I encourage you to go after Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then walks on the water and does all those kind of normal things. Uh, so glorying in Christ as the chapter is, then Jesus is rebuking this crowd that's chasing him just for their bellies to be filled by miracles. And in that, he continuously testifies to his heavenly origins. We've picked you know, I've picked a section out of that. There's plenty more you could pick to show Jesus' distinctive heavenly origins, that he uniquely has seen the Father. All of those things are repeated throughout this chapter. But here we look at, Jesus then said to them, in John 6, 32-33, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world so again we have this emphasis on G- who is jesus jesus is he who comes down from heaven
1: and it's pretty common for jesus in the gospel of john to talk about him in the himself in the third person so, in,
0: in, all, in all the Gospels, he normally speaks of himself as the Son of Man, blah, 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 or, or instead of saying, I, Jesus, most often, which is why when Jesus does say I, it's, which we're going to see very soon, you really want to take notice, because most often he speaks of himself in the third person as the Son of Man or as he who. Um, in so this is a
1: generic description of all the kinds of people who come from down down from heaven they're the ones who give life to the world. No, it's a singular no, reference—the the bread himself. of
0: life, who's who who is uh um who is our source of eternal life in John chapter six is clearly, distinctively Jesus. And anyone who reads the chapter, uh, I sincerely doubt you would ever get even a Latter Day Saint who would say, "Oh no, we're all the bread of God." Right. Uh, yeah. And so it. But when you follow it through logically, especially, again, if all you had was this verse, you might be able to wiggle around it. But this is continuing an ongoing drumbeat throughout John's Gospel about Jesus as the one who came down from heaven, as opposed to us who are from the earth. And so, then we get on to John chapter nine, another conflict with the crowd. If you this want is John to, eight, right? Or sorry, John eight. Sorry. He said to them,
1: "You are from below; I am from above. You are of this world; I am not of this world." Does it go on? Uh, I don't think so.
0: No. We'll we'll we'll, we'll read yeah. more more in eight for a minute, but first pausing here.
1: Yeah, I am from above. This is continuing this Johannine theme that Jesus uniquely comes from before, from above. He condescends. From the Father, he was with the Father, he's making the Father known. He's not of this world, he was not born of this world, he doesn't speak in an earthly way. Uh, and the reason we can trust him is because he's the uniquely pre existent son who came to earth. He came here. Uh he he's from above. We can't talk that way about ourselves.
0: Absolutely. And so Lest there be any doubt, Jesus continues later in this same discourse, this same discussion with an increasingly hostile crowd that he's talking to. Uh, He says, But you have not known him, i.e., the the Father. I know him. First, you have not known him. Not just you don't presently. You used to in your preexistence, and you've forgotten, and now you don't know him. You have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Once again, you see, there's no assumption of preexistence in the Jews here. The the, 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 the Jews present are not thinking, Well, in the preexistence, you had, you, you knew Abraham. No, you're not fifty years old. You couldn't possibly have ever seen Abraham. So there's even among just the Jews in general here, there's no assumption of a preexistence. But we continued. So they're challenging Jesus. How could how could Abraham have wanted to see your day, seen your day, been glad? You're not yet fifty years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am."
1: That should give people chills because of the reference or the allusion this makes to Yahweh in the book of Exodus. Who shall I say sent me, Moses says.
0: Tell them I am that I am sent you. And he says, I am. That, that is the name you will tell them. And so, yeah, that God identifies himself. The creator God, the God of Israel, who again, John chapter one, identified the word who became flesh. The one who came down from heaven, Jesus as. So this is not a new revelation to the reader, but it was certainly startling to the crowd to hear Jesus identify himself as the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And are we reading too much into this? Well, no. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They were going to stone him for what? For blasphemy.
1: So they were wrong, of course, to want to kill him for this, but they were right to infer that Jesus is entailing his own deity.
0: Absolutely. Yes. They were incorrect because Jesus was being truthful. It would have been blasphemous if he was not God for him to say that. Yeah. But he is. And so, and that's the, that's what John wants you to see. And, And so Jesus is identifying, again, his unique heavenly origin. He is God who came down to earth and makes the Father known.
1: And just to point out the obvious, in Mormonism, we all were before Abraham. Before Abraham was born, we were all in heaven. We were at the great heavenly council. We were preexistent spirits. Uh, We were spirit babies. We were in a big spiritual family. Up in heaven before we came down here. So this is this talk is nonsense. the the The, the gospel writer of the Gospel of John and here Jesus Himself—they're operating with a completely different worldview. Uh, Latter-day Saints don't talk this way about Jesus. It's because it doesn't fit their worldview. Well, the Gospel of John does. Jesus does talk about this way
0: about Himself this way. And so, we've gone through John's chap John chapter one through eight. So by the time you get to the beginning of John chapter 9 and you're looking at uh looking at the the conversation w- in front of the man born blind that they're having and Jesus Jesus disciples question it's inconceivable that John suddenly wants you to think oh we all preexisted in heaven and made all these choices and that's that might be why this man was born blind um uh, that 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 assumption Is not available to you. John has made it abundantly clear, you did not come from heaven. And why is John trying to communicate that? I mean, Jews didn't believe people came from heaven. So what's John's point? Well, it's not so much something that he wants to teach you about you. He expects you to already know you are from the earth. What John wants you to realize is something about Jesus that he, unlike you, is not from the earth. Jesus is from heaven, uniquely from heaven. Like no one before or after him, Jesus came down, the divine word, the great I am who brought all things into existence, came and took on flesh and condescended to dwell among us and make known the mysteries of heaven to humanity, that all who believe could, by the way, as John talks about in back in chapter one of the Gospel, that those who believe Him, those who receive him, those who believe on His name are given the right to become children of God. Mormon theology would also teach that in our spiritual preexistence, we were God's children. But John teaches, no, you are not by nature or by right God's child. You become God's child when you receive Christ and believe on his name. It's a privilege we are graciously granted by the true only begotten Son of God coming down and dying in our place and rising again to give us that.
1: So that's a great place to stop, but I've got to insert this. I, I found the article with Kevin Barney okay. talking okay. about John <laughs> and in the article, if you want to look it up, it's called On Preexistence in the Bible. He's a Mormon scholar. Uh, it's on fairmormon.org. But if you were to Google this, you would see that uh, what he does is he holds out the possibility that this is referring to uh, preexistence. existence um, But I think the the better way to approach this text or or the the way to so if, if we want to ask ourselves what's the most likely sort of background assumption at play here um or what's sort of the purpose well first of all the point of the text isn't about preexistence he he admits that it's about um god being glorified in, in the uh the situation that was planned um but if we wanted to ask ourselves does this text sort of lean uh does it, does it uh, tip its hat toward pre-existence? We should look at the rest of the Gospel of John. And as we've done, we, we, we've shown that in the Gospel of John, that's not an assumption that the text wants us to walk away with.
0: I would I would I would say it not only doesn't want us to walk away with it's an assumption that the text doesn't leave available. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not not even not even an option categorically that you could possibly precludes. walk away from the text. You no, know, a lot
1: of times Latter-day Saints like to say if you join our religion, uh you can just keep what you have. You can um retain your existing beliefs and we'll just add on to what you have. Uh this is a great example of a of, of really precious belief that we have, the unique preexistence of Jesus Christ. Uh, contrary to our having begun our existence here on earth. That's a belief that we would have to be gutted of. We would have to give up that belief. We would have to replace that belief. We would have to adopt something that contradicts that belief if we were to become genuine Latter-day Saints of good conscience following what they teach. Uh, we would have to stop worshiping Jesus for being the unique preexistent Son. Because we're all preexistent Sons uh, in, in the Latter-day Saint scheme.
0: and And yet... For John, the fact that Jesus is the unique, pre existent, heavenly Son of God is what makes him uniquely able to save us. Mm-hmm. That that it's this isn't a side issue to John, this is a gospel issue. That the gospel is that the eternal, unique, only begotten Son of God came to earth and took on our fleshly nature that 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 is ours by birth and yet he condescended to take that on and die in our place and take our sin and that that so the entire gospel is actually built on this idea that Jesus is something we are not from somewhere we are not giving us access to something we otherwise have no right to mm. and so the mormon doctrine doesn't just gut us of a precious belief it guts us of a central belief mm. at the very heart of the gospel itself it's a good good time to stop. All right. So if you guys want to hear more on this topic, uh, later this week we're gonna post a second episode looking at a few more uh, more arguments uh, that might be put forward for the pre-existence. Uh, but yeah, this uh, this, I think, is probably the most important of the two, even though some of the other arguments might be more challenging because this presents the Bible's positive case that there is no pre-existence and that Jesus is uniquely from heaven. So thanks for joining us. All right, have a great day.
1: (laughs) All right, so please stop. (laughs)